Let's go ahead and, and start off with prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us the opportunity to come before you today to hear your word. I thank you that we can do this with, with peace and, and not under persecution. But I pray that if we, if we do come under persecution, we will have the heart and the courage to do so anyways. I pray, Lord, that, that your word will come forth today, that, that my natural body will not be in the way of, of your word, your anointed word coming forth and speaking to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn to Psalm 145. The sermon today is, What is our true belief? This isn't the title, but what is our true belief on the nature of God, on the goodness of God? Let's go ahead and read through Psalm 145. It says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and an shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of thy glorious honor, of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the mighty and terrible of thy mighty and terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy greatness, of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great of mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies over all His works. All Thy works shall praise Thee, O Lord, and Thy saints shall bless Thee. They shall speak of the glory of Thy kingdom and talk of Thy power to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and glorious majesty of His kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and Thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Lord, upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest their meat in their due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and all and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will hear their cry, and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My, my, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I chose this, this psalm because throughout the whole psalm, it doesn't just have highs, it doesn't just have lows, but no matter how good or bad it is, it has like an upbeat feeling to it. There's some psalms that you can feel the depression that David is going through, the, the worry of, of his enemies. This one here, it just feels the whole way through like everything's good no matter how bad it is. And I was there a few months ago. I don't know if you guys remember, I gave a testimony and I said that... I wanted to praise God for how good everything had been because I hadn't given any testimonies for a while because everything had just been so good for so long 
it just became normal to me. And I gave a version of the testimony I'm getting ready to give. There's an abridged version. I'm going to explain to you how we had eight or nine months that went very similar. Every week just went well. Not to say there weren't problems, but everything just got fixed quickly. And one of the testimonies to, to show what God was doing, how he was working for me and Laura, is we had a customer show up that one of our friends works with. We didn't want the customer because we'd heard plenty of stories. He's a designer that has a, a horrible reputation for being slick, trying to sneak things into the job he doesn't want to pay for or not paying at the end. So we tried our best to, to push this back off to our friend, but with as slick as he is, he showed up at the office one day and left, and we had his job. Um, he gave us this little, he gave us a door, and I cut a little small piece of the door off, and they said, that's what you have to match. So I sent it off and had it matched at one of the facilities that we work with. It came back. We waited around for months. He, well, we'll need it someday, or, you know, he, he never, he didn't call back, and then eventually called back and said, okay, we need it in a month. We are completely swamped. There was no way, but we had already agreed to it, so we started building it, got to a certain point, and then we couldn't paint it, so we sent it back to our friend. He started to paint it and realized that it was going to be a four- or five-step process where it had to be antiqued and glazed and distressed. And So he got through the paint and called and said, take it back, I'm not, not doing anything with this. But getting it to that point was already a blessing for us. So we're like, oh, well, praise God. We'll just stay late a few nights, get this all taken care of. Well, at the end of a couple nights of, of working on this, got everything glazed, I'm going to go home and, and rest because all I have to do the next morning is clear coat this and we're good to go. It started turning peppermint green when the job is supposed to be a, a grayish blue job. No peppermint green there. There was got a brown glaze on it. And it was not, it wasn't a, well, it could be either way. It was, it was peppermint bright green. So after a small freak-out moment, we figured out another four- or five-step process on top of the process we already did. Got the color work, uh, where it looked really good, went home, came in the next morning and clear-coated it, and it turned peppermint green all over again. So uh, This is there in the good times. Um, but, but no, this is... What happened is we had to install the job. They had to have templates. We had no choice. We got the job out there. And I prayed, I was just like, God, change the color of these cabinets. So when they show up, they look perfect. Well, we weren't installing them. It was for somebody else. I think this guy even tells people he built the cabinets himself, which is good because of the color. But showed up, and his installers took them, and they came back, and they said, well, the color looks great. I said, you know, it's, it's going right up against these other cabinets. You, it's, it looks great. Well, his installers don't know anything. Next day, the designer had seen it, or within a few days, and he loved the color. He said, everything matched great. So, okay, maybe God changed the color. Maybe the sample was just so far off. Yeah. You know, I, I, there, was, there had to be an explanation other than, than what was going on. Well, a month or so later, someone brought me their phone that had gone out to the job site, and they said, we just took the pictures. Look how good this match is. And it's not. It is right next to each other, peppermint green and blue. It just doesn't match at all. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, when are people actually going to see this? And they've had a month. 
And then I realized if it had been a perfect match when they showed me that picture, it's like, well, I could have rationalized it with the sample was off. It changed colors again because it did that already. But what God had done and what God is still doing to this day is every single morning when that customer wakes up and walks into their kitchen, he's saying, you see a perfect match. That is miraculous. And that's how, that's how all of that was going. And not just the customer, the builder, the designer, anybody, they have come over to their, their house. They walk in, and God says, what you see is perfect. And they all say the same thing. You can't tell where the old cabinets end and the new cabinets start. I can't. They can't. But that's the important part. They're the ones paying the bills. But I was thankful for that. But that is how everything was going. You know, I was that just that upbeat. That was the longest issue I think we dealt with in eight or nine months. It's just a week of, of will it? You know, what's going to happen? And God just was working it out. But I kept on saying, you know, move that down a little bit. I kept on saying, you know, God is being good to us. You know, I was, and I knew that God was being good to us because of, of what I was feeling, of what I was seeing. And I wasn't thinking of Psalms 145 specifically, but Psalms just like it. It's just like, you know, I, that, the first part of that, that psalm is, a, you know, I will praise, I will extol thee, my God, O King. That's a, that's a great song that we sing. That was just, that was a part of, of mine and Laura's life. But when that point ended in our life, when that season ended, it ended hard. I mean, we started getting sick. I think that's when I got COVID and, you know, couldn't sleep for several days because of the pain. The kids started getting sick. Malachi, um, the rash he had as a baby, came back up. Thankfully, not on his face really bad, but on his back and his legs. And, and it was just, everything changed. And I'm not normally a sick person. I've been blessed to not be sick. But since that point in time, I've had reoccurring headaches that have just, are just debilitating. Well, and then during that point in time was also when Laura's grandpa passed away. And you guys have all heard the stories about our cars, transmissions blowing up, engines literally falling out of the cars. Everything that would happen, all of the, before, and for eight or nine months, every big, massive problem just got fixed and was no big deal. And then we're getting to this season in life, and it's just like, okay, every small thing that shouldn't, add up to anything is just turning into a massive trial so to me I went from you know God is being good to us God is good to us to having to reassure myself God's still good and it's tougher when you uh, when you're in these times but that's, what, uh, that's where this sermon came from, was I believe God gave me a question during that point in time. And it's actually the statement I've used over and over and over again, God's still good. So the title of the sermon, never got to write on this before, God is good When? If we can answer that question, 
then we'll know what our belief on the true nature of God is. You know, we hear God is good so much that it, I don't even recognize, you know, God is good, amen. You know, it's over and over and over. You'll hear it a thousand times throughout your life. But if we change it into a, that statement into a question, when is God good? Do we believe that God is good? Now, on the outset, you'd say, well, of course. Why would we be a Christian if we didn't believe God was good? But in my own life, you know, I was raised in the, uh, with biblical values, biblical Christian structure. So I never once, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever said or thought that I didn't believe God was in control. I've never doubted God's power. But if I've never doubted his power, never doubted his control, then why would I ever step outside of God's plan? So whenever I was a child, I heard a radio sermon on WJIE. And I I didn't hear the whole sermon. I heard the last portion of it. Don't know what the whole sermon was about. But I heard a testimony that the preacher gave and he said, this lady, I'm assu- it sounded like a true story, I don't know, but he said this lady had a son that was going off hunting, and she was terrified he was going to get hurt. So she got down on her hands and knees and said, God, please protect my son while he's hunting and bring him home safe to me. And she waited and throughout the whole day, and he came back without a scratch on him. And he got out of his truck and went around, was unloading everything, and in the process, the gun fell over hit the bed of the truck, and killed him. And, you know, I grew up in a charismatic church, so I'm thinking, okay, she's going to go over and pray for this son, and everything's going to be fine. But the preacher said, well, her problem was she didn't pray that he would be safe when he was home. And God did exactly what he, what he was asked to do, but she needed to learn that only God could keep him safe whether he was hunting or at home. And I don't know um, what the guy's beliefs on anything else were, but for the majority of the rest of my life, because of that one sermon I heard, I wasn't serving a good God. I was serving a a gotcha God. I was serving a, oh, you missed a spot. You know, when I would pray, it was a legal document. God, keep me safe when I go to work, and when I come home, and while I'm at work, and if I go out to eat, make make sure I'm safe when I go out to eat, and I got back from me, oh, I ate at the restaurant, I wasn't just driving, so... Thank God he, he, could have, he could have just struck me down right then because I didn't ask for it. That was my relationship with God. It was, just, it was a fear of God, but it was a fear of, of, of just slipping up and, and, and God letting you, you know, get God because, you know, I didn't pray the right way. Turns God into a, into a Santa Claus that you're given a list to, and if you don't get the right color bike, you, well, you didn't ask for it. And in that view, in that view of, of God's goodness and the God's nature, it just, it killed my relationship with God. I wasn't going and pouring out my heart to Him at all. I was just covering my bases. And it bled over into every, every aspect of my life, covering my my bases. I, Isaac had told me one time when I was going to go on a spring break trip. I wasn't saved. And he said, I have a bad feeling about this. 
So I was like, oh, you think God's going to get me? So I grabbed my Bible and put it in the trunk, and I was like, well, he's not going to crash the car with the Bible in there. So that was, that was my... Obviously, I wasn't saved. That's not my belief now. But that was my, my feeling about God. He wasn't a good God to me. You know, in Mark 10, 18, you don't have to turn here, but it, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good Master... And asked him his question. He says, well, why are you calling me good? There's only one good that's but God. And we have a conscience. So we know we're not good. So if we're basing God's goodness off of our goodness or our ability to, to cover all the bases, God will never have the last say in our trials. Because there's always something that we can change. Have you ever taken and put something in God's hands just long enough to see what he'll do with it then snatch it back up if it's not going in the right direction? I, I have. I have many times to my shame. And if I've never doubted God's power or ability to control anything, then I had to have been doubting whether or not he was good. The only reason we would pull something back is if we don't think that he is good if we have work issues or we're sick or relationships and we trust him just long enough to prove to our brothers and sisters, hey, I have faith, or just long enough to see what direction he's going to take it in and then we take it back and try and fix it ourselves, that is not a good God we're serving. That's a God that we hope will do the right thing. And if I, he doesn't lay flooring anymore as far as I know, but if I ask Mr. Lanham, to put in a floor for me and he gets a quarter of the way finished and I say I think I'm going to finish this up myself it's not going fast enough and I bring my own guys in and they put in the floor and someone comes in and says who did your floor well Mr. Lanham started it but it wasn't going well so I have my guys finish it up so I'm doing two things one I'm keeping Mr. Lanham from putting in a floor that he would be proud of and I'm also telling the next person don't wait on Mr. Lanham. It's not worth it. That's the same thing we're doing to God whenever someone comes and says, well, what did you do? Well, I, I trusted God this far, and then I did it myself, or I had someone else do it. It keeps them from having faith or trusting God as well as ourselves. So let's, let's turn back, go all the way back to Genesis 3, and we're going to see where... This question started. Who used it first? Genesis 3 1. And uh, we're going to read 3 1 through 3. So this is Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord God made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall eat of it, not, not eat of every tree of the garden. And when the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So we've all heard, I've said up here in past sermons, that the first trick that the devil played was, hath God said. He'll get you to doubt God's word. If he can get you to doubt God's word, he doesn't need to go any further anyways. So, it says this, but it might mean this. You know, it, it could be interpreted this way. There's no point in going any further. But if you stay in Genesis, I'm just going to read this off. In John 1.1 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was God, and the word was, or, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, if you can doubt any of it, any of it at all, you might as well doubt all of it. So, continuing on, we're actually we'll read back over that. It says, "In the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree." Of, all, of a garden, but of the tree which in the middle of the garden, God did say, you shall not eat of it. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. So the devil said, okay, God did say it. You didn't read it in a book. You heard it from God's mouth. God said, don't eat of that tree. But can you trust him? He says, well, maybe you don't doubt his word, but is, is he a good God? Does he have your best interest in mind? And it goes straight from that to verse 6, where it says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be... And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of it of the fruit and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Eve had a personal one-on-one relationship with God. She walked with God. I'm assuming it says Adam walked with God. I'm assuming she walked with God as well, but she talked with him. So when the devil said, well, did he really say it? She didn't read it in a book. And if I come up and, and, and tell you something in this sermon and I leave and someone says, well, did he really say that? Well, yeah, I heard him say it. But you don't know what someone said in another, another church. So she knew. But it goes instantly from, yes, God said it. And as soon as she says, the devil says, can you trust him? She's like, maybe not. Maybe he's not as good as I think he is. Is he just keeping me for something better, some quicker way to get to where I'm trying to get to? That's why we snatch things back up. That's why we put things in God's hands. That's why we just wait long enough. I I don't like it. And snatch it back up. Because we don't know for sure that God is good. We would never openly, out loud say, well, I don't think God's good. It's just not part of a Christian's nature. But the action is exactly what we're saying. And as far as we can tell, Eve had never to this point questioned whether or not God was good. If she had ever questioned it before, then the first time she was asked about it, she wouldn't have fallen so fast. She would have already had some rationalization or some way that to, to get through that trial. She failed because she didn't know what she thought about God's nature. And so she was able to be convinced quickly. And when I was, when I was preparing this sermon, it hit me about this story of sin in Romans 5.12, it says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed on to all men, for all have sinned. So sin wasn't in the world before Adam and Eve sinned, but sin was in the garden. The snake was already there. The snake was the devil. He was already in the garden speaking to Eve, so sin was in the garden. It just wasn't in their world. It wasn't affecting them our surroundings and our situations don't decide what path we take. It's when we decide to interact with our surroundings and our situations. 
And I'm not saying don't do anything or when you're in a trial or just deny all the trials that you're in. That, that, uh, that doesn't work. Um, trials are real. Trials hurt. Um, but that's not our trial. That's not, you know, the people will say, well, why isn't God moving today like in, in churches as he was before? Well, there's a lot more sin today. Well, no. Everyone else's sin doesn't have to decide whether or not God moves in this church. That means that we're once again saying that their goodness will depend on whether or not God is good here. So, one thing uh, my mom actually told us when we were little, when we would come to her and she, we'd be like, you know, my headache is, is really bad. She would say, no, your head hurts really bad. Or you have a headache. That's not yours. You, know, that's, you, you don't claim that you, that you have a headache. That's not your headache. So, we can't claim, you know, when, when we do... Um, you know, I have had really bad headaches, but I'm not believing that I'm going to have these headaches for the rest of my life. They're not my headaches to carry with me. You know, we weren't told deny the pain. I know um, the you know when you pray for something, you believe that it's that it's happened, but I don't believe that means you go into someone and say, hey. My finger grew back. Look. And then you just look like an idiot. I believe that it will. It's been years. I forget about it until I shake somebody's hand and the little kid says something. But I do believe that everything I need healing for will be healed, but I'm not going to go up to someone and say, can't you see it? They don't have to see it. I have to see it. So let's... We can't... uh, be in a trial and invest in the sin around us and then say, well, God's not good when we get in return our investment either. It's a little side note. Let's get back on track. But um, we need to settle in our mind now. I don't know. I know there are some people in trials now. There's some people who have just got through them. But if you're a Christian and you're going to be around any while longer, there's everyone here is going to be going through them again. That's That's what... The Bible says, Paul said, you know, don't think it's strange when trials come upon you because that's part of life. That is part of the Christian life. And if I had, when Laura and I were going through these great times, I felt like God was good because of what was happening to me. My feelings were just like, wow, God is great. But when that changed, my feelings changed too. My feelings were just like, well, I wonder why God's not being good to me anymore. You know, what have I done? Or, you know, what have I changed? Why is God not being good? My flesh was saying, you need to fix this in whatever way possible. And that's what you get for giving that testimony. You gave that testimony and let the devil know that you were doing great and the devil got to snatch it back up. So then once again, I was basing God's goodness on the devil. And normally something like that would just, would just overwhelm me. But I was blessed because I felt the need to tell Laura, because every day something would pop up. I'd be like, God is still good. And it wasn't the happy, God is good. 
from a few months ago, but it was God is still good. And but in turn, by hearing myself encourage her over and over, it was encouraging me. It was strengthening me in my walk because you know I mean you know, I, I don't know if she was how bad she was dealing with it or not, but. I knew what I was feeling, so I was like, okay, if I'm feeling this. So I had to continue to, to strengthen her, which strengthened me through it. And, you know, through these trials that we go through, or when we're going to pray, I always think it's a great idea to write down in a book all the things that you've prayed for. And then you can go back, and this was answered this way, this was answered this way, this was answered this way. But that can be a trap when you're going through trials as well. Because... When someone is going through something, especially if they're Christian, Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and called according to His purpose. So you say that a bunch of times. Some people misuse it and say, well, what you're going through is actually good, and it doesn't say that. It says that's all going to work together for good. But I was judging that scripture once again off of physical results. And I heard, I heard uh, Curtis preaching a sermon about that and it changed my view on it I was telling others you know when you're going through trials if you're a Christian called by God it's going to work out to your advantage in some physical way you lose something physical you're going to get something physical better back and don't get me wrong I wasn't thinking you know oh I got rear-ended by a Rolls Royce car's totaled but I'm getting paid so you know it wasn't wasn't along those lines but it was very similar when my trailer got stolen I was like, well, this is bad, but it's going to work together for good, so the cops said they'll find it within 48 hours or they won't find it at all. So they'll find it within 48 hours. 48 hours came and went. Well, I'm just going to see it driving down the road, and I'll get my, my trailer back because it has to work together for good. And you give it enough time, there's a, a thousand renditions of that story that somehow I was going to uh, find that trailer or find the people who did it. And it would have been better for my spiritual life if I just found the trailer and not the people who did it. But I was sure that there was going to be some kind of butterfly effect from my trailer getting stolen that this great thing was going to happen for me. When Curtis was preaching up there, he preached on that sermon and he said, well, what if you never physically get anything back from the bad things that happened to you? What if you just got closer to God and you never get your trailer back? He wasn't speaking to me, but he was speaking to me. Um, he said, you know, what, what if someone got closer to God? Not you, but someone got closer to God because of what happened to you. Is that good enough? And I was judging, okay, well, God's good, so good things will happen to me physically. And if I look in the natural, you know, I had cost $5,000 to replace the trailer. At that point in time, $5,000 may have been $50,000. It was just, it was not something I just had laying around. It was just as, as attainable as fifty. But in the natural, someone could say, well, how did that work together for you at all? Yeah, you ended up getting a new trailer. But you could have spent that $5,000 on a, a whole bunch of other things. I could have never bought for $5,000 what I gained from losing the trailer. You know, I had to sit there and, you know, friends were showing up and, oh, I just happened to get a trailer. You can, it was the exact same size. You can just drive this around till you get a new trailer. 
um, eventually someone came up with a really, really expensive trailer. Um, we bought that, and it wheels literally kept falling off of it. Um, but that kept us going for long enough till one day they said, well, there's a deal on a trailer for $5,000. And Laura's like, well, we have that. I had to learn to trust God. And I wasn't at that point in time. I was just just living. It wasn't like every day I was like, oh, I'm going to trust God for this. I was just living my life out. But things were just working. We didn't miss any deadlines. The trailer got stolen with a full set of cabinets in it. And the next day, um, doesn't completely a good story, but they called and we were supposed to go into an apartment. Someone had got killed in the apartment. So they said, you can't install the cabinets. It, uh, still, it worked out for us. But um, still, so it all worked out in a way that helped me to grow. Am I opposed to someday someone walking up with a trailer because they had a conviction over it? Absolutely not. That would be great. But I haven't, up until I was preparing for this sermon, I hadn't really thought about that. So, you know, if we, if we are naturally or physically minded in our trials, there's going to be a whole lot of times we get to the other side of our trials and think, what was that worth? I never got anything back from that. I don't feel better because I lost my trailer unless I realize what I gained. So, you know, if, if you turn, go ahead and turn to Matthew twenty one twelve. I wasn't going to, I was just going to read that. But imagine we come in tomorrow or come in next week and the church had been vandalized. Or we hear that one of the churches in Indiana or West Virginia or wherever all those... I haven't visited any of these other churches that uh, we're close with. But if one of them came and said, hey, our church has been vandalized. First reaction was, man, this sin is just rampant in this world. That's, you know, why would someone come in and destroy the pulpit and tear up the walls? But in Matthew twenty-one twelve, when Jesus went into the temple... It says, He cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. There were a lot, there was need for the money changers because the temple didn't take uh, Roman money. There was need for people selling doves and lambs because if you had to travel 100 miles, It'd be difficult to travel 100 miles with your family and keep a dove or a lamb or a sheep spotless. The fact that they were selling that stuff wasn't an issue. It was just that there was corruption there. So how many people showed up to sacrifice that day? And there was nothing to buy for a sacrifice. How many people got down on their knees and said, God, I, I have to do this. I'm called to sacrifice but I have nothing to sacrifice. This isn't good. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? Lord, how am I supposed to worship you if I can't get what I need to do it? So on the outside, the temple being destroyed looks horrible. But that means that immediately, as soon as, it was, as, soon as he had gone in and, and tore up the temple, the people's hearts 
were in order when the, church, the temple was in disarray. It may look, nothing in a trial, or very rarely something in a trial, looks like, oh, wow, this is, this is good, this is going to work out. But sometimes, God does need to come into our lives and tear things down. God does need to come in and say, this should never have been here, or this isn't in the right order. That doesn't change the fact that he's a a good God. We have to get back to trusting God first. If we go into a trial and we say, okay, can I trust him now? It's too late. We have to settle in our mind now what his perfect and good nature is, settle in our mind that God is good when? Before we have to ask, is God good now? You know, when a Christian says, well, God's not being good to me, whether, whether, when a Christian says life's not being fair, life's not fair, they're saying God's not being good to me. That's all they're saying. And when a non-Christian says, well, is God really good? All they're saying is, will he be good to me? Is, he, is, is it going to benefit me to, um, to follow your God? It's all about goodness. There's, when uh, the modern preachers like Andy Stanley pops up and says, well, throw out the Old Testament. Only speak from the New Testament because that was good for then, but it's not good for, t- for today. I won't serve their God. Because if that God could have been bad once, he can be bad again. We just, okay, at what trial do we say, I think he might have shifted back to that Old Testament God. Or if they continue to read, um, it gets a whole lot more Old Testament in Revelations. And do they just want to throw that out too? Is, that, is it just not going to be good then? If at any point in time, the God you serve can be bad, then he can be bad now. A bad God, even Paul said, hey, if, if this isn't true, we should be pitied of all men. Christians, that's not worth it. If you can change God's goodness, or if you base things off of people, then you can change God's order in anything. Husbands being the head of the home. People will say now, well, that worked then because men aren't the same, but men aren't the same now as they were then. Yeah, we're exactly the same. We're just as bad now as we were when, when husbands love your wife was written. But Ephesians 5 doesn't say husbands love your wife to the best of your ability. It says love your wife as Christ loved the church. So don't base it off of what you can do because you can't. If you're going to base your relationship with your family, with your wife, with your friends, or with God off of your own ability, then you've already failed. We're always supposed to go back to God's nature. Okay, how would God do this? And I don't like the whole what would Jesus do thing, but as an actual idea, as an actual feeling, that is how we're supposed to be. It's not, okay, what is the best thing I can do at this point in time? We are not good. The only goodness in us is imputed on us from, from Christ, God's righteousness. That song, you know, this is, my only defense is my righteousness, but your only righteousness is from God. And if we fall into the trap, like David, comparing everything else 
because David says, God, look at all these heathens. They're doing so well. Then you have the heathens out here right now that are saying, if, there's a, if God is so good, why do good thing, or bad things happen to good people? And the Christians are turning around and saying, well, if God is so good, why do good things happen to bad people? Both sides of the coin are just still just questioning God's goodness, and there's neither one of them is better than the other. God's goodness is separate from everything else. God's goodness isn't dependent on anything that happens in our life. It isn't dependent on uh, what we understand. Turn to Isaiah 55.8. We're starting to commence the closing, but not really. Uh, We can't lean on our own understanding, and this isn't that scripture, but similar. We read 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So just because we don't understand what his plan is, we must trust that it's a good plan for us. If he is a good God, then it's a good plan. You know, to answer the question, why, is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, one, there's no such thing as a good person. But God is good at everything he does. He's a good father. He's a good healer. He's a good savior. But he's also a good judge. And if no one ever got judged for the things that they did, then the Christians or everyone out there would just be saying, well, this just isn't fair. Why does sin get to run without being checked? But then when something happens to us, it's like, well, why was my sin checked before their sin was checked? You know, I know I've said this, and I'll say it again, but if we base our understanding of God's goodness on what someone else is going through, or what we're going through right now, we're going to fail. You know, I'm going to end this on a, on a story from um, Laura's grandpa. But John Solinger, when he was here, he said that he, he loved to go back and listen to the last sermon that a good preacher ever preached because there was always some revelation, some truth there that, um, that was revealed. And Laura's grandpa, he was a pastor. And at his funeral, they all got around and they were telling stories about what they remembered and one lady stood up and she said my most clear memory of him was a sermon he preached called you'll preach your own funeral and when she said that I started thinking back to all the times that he prayed and sometimes they were long prayers sometimes they were short usually long he was a Baptist preacher but at the end of all of his funeral or all of his, uh, his prayers he would end it with either God bless us or God be good to us. God be good to my family. And towards the end of his life, he'd had a stroke. He couldn't really get, you know, one or two words out. And if he did, it wasn't really coherent. But 
we, at Thanksgiving, his last Thanksgiving, we're all sitting around the table, and they have a tradition where everybody goes around the table and they say everything that they've been blessed for and are thankful for throughout the year. And it goes youngest to oldest. And as he was going through, you just kind of got the feeling, okay, what's going to happen when it gets to Grandpa? No. He can't speak. And I think he had the same feeling like, okay, it's, it's going to get to me and... Uh, anyone who's ever dealt with someone who's had a stroke, the embarrassment of, of, of not being able to say what they want to say and get out, it's, it's, it's real. And he, he stood up from the kitchen and he kind of just walked over into the living room. It's basically one big room. But he sat down and, and I just thought, well, that's the end of it. You know, he's just not going to give his testimony. But right in the middle of someone else's testimony, as, as clear as day, he spoke up and he said, God has been good to me. God has blessed me. That was the most impactful thing he had said in all the years that I knew him. God gave him clarity at the end to look back at his life and say, I know it's been tough, but look what I've done. And that's what we have to do. We get... Like I said, you can't look at what we're doing right now or what we're going through right now. We have to get to the end of whatever race we're in, whatever trial we go through, and look back and say, wow, God has been good to me. So when is, when is God good? When we're in a season of overflowing life? Absolutely. When, when life is just normal? Yeah. When we're going through trials? Absolutely. When we have absolutely nothing left in our life, that is the most important time that God is good. So that's what we have to do today, settle in our hearts. When is God good? And the answer should always be right now. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for, for this word. I thank you that it spoke to me, that you gave me these questions now to settle in my heart and I just pray that we'll all settle it in our hearts today that we will trust in you that when we put things in your hands we'll leave things in your hands that we'll trust your nature to be good your word to be true I pray that you will bless the rest of this day and, and that you'll just continue to grow within us and our relationship with you In Jesus' name, amen.